Let us now hear the word of God as we find it in the New Testament in the Gospel according to Mark chapter 10 and we'll take up our reading at verse 17. The Gospel according to Mark chapter 10 at verse 17. And I see, that is Jesus, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptised with the baptism with which I am baptised? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptised you will be baptised. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, 
but it is for those for whom it is it has been prepared and when the ten heard it they began to be indignant at james and john and jesus called them to him and said to them you know that those who are considered rulers of the gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them but it shall not be so among you but whoever will, would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give us life a ransom for many and they came to jericho and as he was leaving jericho with his disciples and a great crowd bartimaeus a blind beggar the son of timaeus was sitting by the roadside and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what? Do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. May the Lord bless to us the reading of that portion of his word. Seeking the Lord's blessing and help, let us return again to the portion of scripture that we read together in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, and we'll read at verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so on. There are many important questions that we may ask during the day, but there cannot be a more important question than the question asked by this man. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The, the question sounds familiar to the one asked by the Philippian jailer, recorded for us in the book of Acts chapter 16, who said, what must I do to be saved? The account of this man is recorded for us in the three Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and in the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, we are told that this man was a ruler, which means that he must have been in a position of leadership in his local uh, community. Possibly he was one of the officials who would manage the local uh, synagogue. We know that he must have been a wealthy person, for we read in verse 22 that he had great possessions, and Luke tells us that he was a man who was extremely rich. But this wealthy man wanted to have eternal life. In other words, he wanted to enter into the kingdom of God. He was the very desirous of entering 
into heaven. So he came with the question to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was a wealthy ruler. You could say that he was a man who had it all. He had great possessions. He had many money. He had a position in society. Possibly he would have been had servants waiting on him, hand and foot. And yet there was an emptiness in his life. There was an emptiness in his heart that all his riches uh, could not fill. There was something missing in his life that kept him restless. And he could not have peace and contentment. Despite all his wealth, all his riches and his position in society, there was something that kept him restless. And therefore he could not have peace and contentment. This man was searching for eternal life. And he was in earnest, for we read that he came running. One thing is sure, this man was convinced that there was something missing in his life. And when the Spirit of God comes into the experience of any person, that is one of the things that the Spirit always focuses upon and gives the person to see that there is something missing in his or her life. Maybe you are here today and you are not convinced that there is anything missing in your life. You may be Christless here today and you are, you are not convinced that there is anything at all missing in your life. Well, this young man was not like that. He was convinced that there was something missing in his life. Can you just imagine the scene that is set here before us? Along the dusty road, a man who was wealthy, who was a ruler, comes running towards Jesus. And when he comes to Jesus, he kneels down. He does not care who is watching him. He is a wealthy man. He is a ruler, possibly a, a, a leader in this local synagogue. But he, it doesn't matter to him who is watching him. He comes running to Jesus and he kneels down before him. And he asks this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The man was a ruler. He was not used to kneeling before anybody. In fact, there was the possibility that others knelt uh, before him. And certainly, he called no one master. Uh, but being a ruler, he had his servants who would call him master. But here he comes and he says, good teacher. Obviously, this man had heard about uh, Jesus. Maybe he heard Jesus preach, or maybe he saw Jesus performing a, a miracle. But he was totally convinced of what kind of man Jesus was. And he was totally convinced that Jesus was the only one who could help him. So he came running. He is not lazy. He is not half-hearted. He comes running and he kneels down before Jesus, 
showing that Jesus was a man who was worthy of respect and of reverence. May I ask you the question today, what are you looking for at this moment in your own life? This man was thinking about eternal life. And it was troubling his heart. It was troubling his mind. Have you ever given any thought to eternal life? Have you ever given any thought to your eternal destiny? Another thing about this man is that he was outwardly upright. He was not living in, in sin. His life is morally intact. He's not living in any outward sin. He is morally intact. His thinking is right. Uh, he was a moral, clean living man. But he was troubled and concerned about eternal issues. Yet despite his upright lifestyle outwardly, he was ignorant about the matter of eternal life. There are some who will immediately criticise and condemn this man, but there is much in his life that is to be commended. He is concerned about eternal issues. He is concerned about his eternal state, and that is a good and another thing that we can commend him for is that he does not linger and put it off. When the opportunity came, he came earnestly to ask Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This man came to the right person. This man was convinced that no one could truly answer his question but the one in whose presence he now stood, the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe today you have your hard questions, those certain questions of the heart, those questions that leaves you restless, those questions that stirs up your conscience, maybe questions regarding eternal issues. I probably cannot answer them to your satisfaction. But you can bring them to the Lord who will answer them. And the thing is, are you convinced of that? I am sure you and, and I have hard questions. But where do we take them? Do you hoard them up and become contentious and uh, perhaps uh, antagonistic. As we have said, this man, he came to the right person with his question. Whatever hard questions that may be upon your mind and upon your heart uh, that may even be related to eternal issues, where do you bring them? Well, bring them uh, to the Lord. Jesus always encourages people to come to him. In Matthew we read these words, Come to me all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. See, there's always reluctance, isn't it, on the part of man to come to Jesus. The reluctance is always on our part. Not on the part of Jesus to receive us. The reluctance is always on the part of man. Jesus says, whoever comes, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The prophet Isaiah was sent to preach and warn the tiny nation of Judah and its capital, Jerusalem, of God's judgment upon their sin and rebellion against him. Yet the Lord says to Judah, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. The Lord always encourages us to come to him with all our hard questions. This man came running and we find him kneeling before the Lord. And all because there was a deep longing in his heart that needed to be satisfied, which all his wealth, all his possessions, which his place in society could not provide. This man on his knees before Jesus said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? To which Jesus replied, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You see, Jesus responded in this way because he wanted this man to perceive his true identity. He wanted the man to see that he was someone more than just another good teacher. He was also the son of God. He wanted this man to be convinced that he was more than a good teacher. He wanted this man to be convinced that the man in whose presence he stood at that hour was actually the Son of God. And having said that, Jesus still had a question to answer. So he said to him, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. Jesus was saying to him, if you want to be saved by doing, then you must keep the commandments perfectly. If you want to be saved by your own works, by your own doings, then you must keep the commandments perfectly. Now, Jesus only listed six of the commandments, the last six which deals with our relationship to man. But remember what James says. James writes in his epistle in chapter 2 I think it is for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it when a person breaks one commandment we are guilty of as it were of breaking all the commandments and Jesus was testing this man in relation to his keeping of the law and particularly in his relationship to others For if he broke any of them, he was guilty 
of all. And that is because the law demands total perfection. Now, in his own opinion, this man was confident that he had met the standard set up by Jesus. For he said, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. J.C. Ryle says that this was an answer fuller of darkness and self-ignorance, that it is impossible to conceive. For he says, he that made it could have known nothing rightly, either about himself or God or God's law. Now, Ryle's observation is worthy to note. He that made it could have known nothing rightly, either about himself or God or God's law. This man knew nothing rightly about himself. He knew nothing rightly about himself. He had no knowledge of himself as a lawbreaker or as a sinner. Paul, writing to the church at Rome, clearly tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Catechism asks the question, did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? And it answers, the covenant been made with Adam, not only for himself, but for his posterity. All mankind descending from him, and by ordinary generation sinned in him, and fell with him in his first transgression. Then the Catechism asks, into what he stated the fall bringing mankind, and answers, the fall brought mankind into an estate of sin and misery. Sadly, this man was totally blinded to the fact that he was a sinner. He was totally blinded to the fact that he was a sinner, which is the root problem that leaves him ignorant of God and of God's law. This man knew nothing about God. The truth about God is that he demands perfection, he demands holiness. The writer to the Hebrews says to us, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. This young man was totally ignorant about God's law, that it demanded perfect obedience. Notice that all these things in which this man was ignorant is related to, to one another. This man, because of his ignorance, he saw no need to be saved from sin, no need to be washed from its guilt. You see, from the point of view of our evangelism, it is important for us that if we are going to exhort people to come to Jesus Christ and to commit themselves to Jesus Christ, if we are to exhort people to come to Jesus Christ as Saviour, then we have to show people why they need a Saviour. We have, that's the first point of evangelism. That's where we have to start. Show people that they are sinners. Show people that they need a Saviour. And then present the Saviour. And then present Jesus to them. But this man knew nothing about that. He didn't know that he was a sinner. He was not convinced that he was a sinner. He was not convicted that he was 
a sinner. That's where the Holy Spirit begins. Conviction of sin. And we hear so little of it in our day. But that is where the Lord begins. That's where the Spirit of God begins. Conviction of sin. Bringing home to the person that he is a sinner. That he is out of relationship with God. That he is an enemy of God. That he is not at peace with God. That is where our evangelism must begin. Why do we need to be saved? Why do we need to be redeemed? So many people look to the law and think that if they do their best to keep the law, like this man, that that will bring him or her salvation. This man thought that if he did his best in keeping the law, that it would bring him salvation. But the fact is, as we have already noted, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. To do our best is not enough. We must keep the whole law perfectly. And because we are sinners, we cannot keep the law perfectly. And therefore, we are all guilty of breaking the law, and hence we come under the condemnation of the law. As Paul says in chapter 3 of Romans, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Or as the A.V. hears, that all the world may be guilty before God. Then we read, and Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. That so many who puts up the argument by saying, well, I have not indulged myself in alcohol or drugs. I do not use bad language. I give to charity, and I attend worship almost every Sunday. And yet the Lord is saying to you today, you lack, you lack one thing, just as he said to this man. You lack one thing. Yes, you may outwardly be very upright in your heart. Yes, you may be a good neighbour. Yes, no one can point the finger at you. But yet you lack one thing, he says to this man. Jesus was giving one simple test. He had already probed him with the six commandments in his relationship with man. But what about his relationship with God? And that relationship with God which is contained in the first four commandments. If this man was so confident that he had kept the commandments, then he was obviously keeping the commandment that says, you shall have no other gods before me. So was God first in this man's life? Or was there something else getting in the way? Jesus said, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Friends, we are not saved by our generosity or by giving away our possessions. What Jesus was doing here was identifying the one area of this person's life where he refused to let God be God. And maybe today 
the Spirit of God is probing you. And perhaps he is probing you in the one area of your life where you refuse to let God be God. Whatever it is, in this man's life, it was his possessions. The one area in his life which he was unwilling to give up for following Jesus was his possessions. Jesus, by asking him to sell all his possessions, was asking to put away all the things that were standing in the way of him entering into eternal life, of committing himself to Jesus and following Jesus. This, the man needed to uh, put away everything in his life that was keeping him from going and giving his life to Jesus. And in this case, as we have already noted, it was his possessions. Well, as the Lord saying to you today, you lack one thing. You may be quite upright in your life, quite moral in your outward life. A good neighbour, a good friend, a good worker. But there is one thing that you still lack. And maybe the Lord is saying to you today, put away whatever it is you know yourself that is keeping you from following me. J.C. Ryle again says, many are ready to give up everything for Christ's sake except one darling sin. And for the sake of that sin, they are lost forevermore. For the sake of that one sin, they do not come and give themselves to following Jesus. Well, is that you? What is hindering you from committing your life to Christ today? For a moment, quite briefly, a split second, I assume that there may have been a struggle. This man was down on his knees. While he was on his knees, Jesus looks at him and says, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. You can just imagine the devil coming to this man and whispering in his ear, Look at everything you have. You will have, look at everything you will have to give up in order to get eternal life. If you are saved, nobody will have anything to do with you. If you commit yourself to Jesus, nobody will have anything to do with you. You will not be happy anymore. Giving up everything and following Jesus will be the most foolish thing you have ever done. As long as you do not have Jesus, as long as you do not follow Jesus, you can live any way you want. Do anything you want to do. Go, anything, go anywhere you want to go. And you can have everything that your heart desires. It is as if heaven and hell is posed at this moment to see what this man is going to do. You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you are a treasure in heaven and come, follow me. And this man got up from his knees. And he looks at Jesus straight in the eyes. We are not told of any words, but he simply left with tears streaming down his cheeks. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You know, the words of Agrippa come to mind here, who said, in a short time, he said to Paul, in a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? To which Paul replied, whether short or long, I would to God 
that not only you but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains. In other words, what he was saying was be fully persuaded. This man would rather have his earthly possessions than enter eternal life. When he walked away, he turned his back on the only hope of eternal life, on the only hope of heaven. Jesus said on the mount, remember what he says, for where your treasure is, there is your heart. It is clear that the, this, uh, that, uh, this man's heart was captivated with the love of his possessions. The rich ruler left the greatest thing that he could ever have had. He, he left a man who could have saved him from his sins. He left a man who could have granted him eternal life. He left a man who could have given him riches beyond measure. But he turned and he walked away. Well, my dear friend today, what captivates your heart? What hinders you from coming to Jesus for salvation? Today you are going to do what this are you going to do what this man did? Turn and walk away from the only man who will give you riches beyond measure, and that is salvation. What sin are you not willing to renounce? What relationship are you not willing to give up? What treasure is there that, it, that you're not willing to give up to relinquish in order to follow Jesus and to receive salvation? As this man leaves, we are told how difficult it will be for those who are wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus means those who grasp on to riches. Those who grasp on to riches. Abraham and others were rich men. They were wealthy men. Uh, it was a wealthy man that took care of the body of Jesus after he died on the cross of Golgotha. Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man. Riches do not hinder a person from salvation. But when you grasp or put your trust upon them, they become a stumbling block to salvation. Jesus said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That may sound a bit difficult to understand, but you know, Alongside the main gates of a city, this is a city would have walls around and there would have one gate. Well, alongside that gate was a smaller gate, used only by those who walked in and out of the city. They served a, a twofold purpose. When at sunset or on the Sabbath, the large gates were closed to keep out those who came by the traditional method of travel with camels. Ordinary people yet could enter the city by the smaller gate, the smaller gate being uh, inside the, the larger gate. The camel couldn't get through the small gate. Uh, the camel would have to come through the large gate. But through the smaller gate, uh, people could come in and out of uh, the city. And so the, the, that small gate, it was about three or four feet high. Uh, it was a small gate. So that's why it was called the needle's eye, the needle's eye. 
And here he says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's easier for a camel to go through that small gate than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And we're told that the disciples were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. This was the great lesson for the young man who thought it was not possible for him to merit eternal life. We cannot save ourselves. Our salvation is a gift. And it's a gift from God. So what is impossible for man is possible with God. Jesus says all things are possible. Maybe today you are doubting that God would ever save a person like you. Well, do not despair. For with God all things are possible. He can change the heart of the hardest hearted sinner. The Apostle Paul was a very self righteous Pharisee but when he encountered Jesus he could say but by the grace of God I am what I am because salvation is by grace alone you'll ask one thing go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me to follow Jesus means to make a commitment to Jesus and there are certain things that we are to obey and certain things that we have to let go there are certain sacrifices that we have to make his words to the ruler was follow me or as we have it in the authorised version come take up the cross and follow me there are sacrifices that you have to do in your life some things that you have to let go but whatever sacrifices we do Jesus promises to give more to us than we give up for him. He promises to us the greatest of all possessions, eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You commit yourself absolutely and totally to Jesus Christ, dependent on his grace. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So today, may I ask you, are you convinced of your sin? Is there a conviction of sin in your life? Are you convinced today that you are a sinner? Are you concerned today about eternal issues? Are you concerned today about your eternal destiny? Are you concerned today of how can you be saved from the condemnation that is due to your sins? How can you be saved from the wrath that your sins deserve? Are you concerned about your relationship with God? Well, there are many in this community today who are not concerned with their relationship to God. They see no relevance whatsoever in the gospel. If they did, they would be here. The empty pews testify to the fact that many within the community here see no relevance whatsoever to the gospel. No relevance whatsoever to the preaching of the gospel. And why? Because they are not convinced that they are sinners, that they are in need of salvation. The salvation that the gospel offers through Jesus Christ. 
They are not convinced of that fact. That reminds us, and it's a lesson for us, how we are needing the Spirit of God to come in our day and in our generation. How we need the Spirit of God to come to convict people, to stir them up to a realisation of their relationship with God, that they are out of relationship with God, to convince them that that relationship can only be restored through the offer of the gospel, which is Jesus Christ, which is Jesus Christ. This man came with this uh, question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives him the answer. Jesus gives him the answer. Commit yourself to me. Follow me. Follow me. Well, what is hindering you today from following Jesus? And only you can answer that question. I cannot answer it for you. But if you are Christless today, you lack one thing. And you lack that one thing that is needful if you are going to be saved. May the Lord bless our thoughts and display. Eternal and Ever blessed Lord, we acknowledge that we are dependent upon thy spirit and how we need thy spirit to come in our day to convict people of their sin, to show people the bankruptcy towards God, to show a people that they are out of relationship with God, and through thy spirit enlightenment that they may come to understand and see and enable them to put their trust in the provision that thou hast made out of thy mercy and love to meet with our needs as sinners through thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thee thanks, O Lord, for that great promise that thou hast given that whoever comes to thee that thou wilt in no wise cast out. The reluctance is on the part of man to come. The reluctance is not on thy part to receive. O Lord, we pray that thou would have mercy upon us and deny love that thou would visit us in a day of thy power. And all that we ask is in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. We shall conclude our worship by singing to the Lord's praise from Psalm 130 that you'll find on page 421. Lord, from the depths to thee I cried, my voice, Lord, do thou hear, and to my supplications voice give an attentive ear. Lord, who shall stand, if thou, O Lord, shouldst mark iniquity, but get with thee forgivenesses, that fear thou mayest be. I wait for God, my soul doth wait, my hope is in his word. More than they that for morning watch, my soul waits for the Lord. We shall sing the whole psalm to the Lord's praise, Psalm 130. Lord, from the depths to thee I cried, my voice, Lord, do thou hear.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.